All right, Emmaus, before we, uh, before we move into the sermon this morning, which is going to be in Proverbs chapter 29, so if you're looking around in your Bible or your phone you want to begin to find that, you can do that, but before we move into that part of the, uh, thanks for the background noise there, I appreciate that, uh, uh, before we move into that part of the service, I want us to have a, a special prayer time uh, at, at this moment. Specifically related, as, as Tom alluded to earlier in his prayer, specifically related to the election, praying for our country, realizing there's a lot of talk. Uh, if you spend any time, unfortunately or fortunately, on social media, you know it's just everywhere, almost to the point of exhaustion. But gathering as, as a church family to pray. Also, uh, we're going to have a t- time right now, Tim Harden a member of, of Emmaus and someone who you all have gathered around and prayed for and cared for his family in, in so many different ways. Tim is getting ready to deploy uh, this week with the Army Guard to, to be in Kuwait for probably up to, up to nine months. And so understanding how those two things coincide and our desire to love and to care for, for Tim and, and for his family. And so we want to be sure uh, to be able to, to pray for him. Uh, Tim, if you're in the room and I'm not seeing you, uh, you can come up here, but if you're not in the room, no pressure either way. So uh, Terry Boston uh, is, is a member of Emmaus, and I've asked Terry to come up and lead us in this time of prayer, but also I want you to know that Terry has been commissioned as a chaplain with the North American Mission Board. Uh, North American Mission Board is a grouping of churches who come together to do ministry and missions together, and one part of that ministry is chaplaincy. And so related to a, Terry's uh, nine-to-five job, so to speak, he thought that this would be a good opportunity for him to grow and also be involved in ministry. And so the North American Mission Board uh, has asked us as his church to recognize, not to bring attention to him, but just to recognize how the Lord's at work, to commission him as a disaster chaplain with the North American Mission Board. So Terry, uh, they sent me this fancy certificate to, uh, to give you that you can place on your wall, uh, or you can give it to Rec and she can tell you what to do with it, however, however that works out for you. But uh, we want, to, uh, want you to have that. Tim, uh, come over here as well. Brother Tim, we, we wanna know, I got to know Tim a little bit during the, the pastor search process and just, his love for the Lord and his love for Emmaus and what this church family has meant to him and his family and for us to be able uh, to pray for him uh, right now and, and to think about his service to, to our country and what that means on a week like this with the election. And so, Terry, uh, if you would pray for our country um, and pray for Tim and his family, we'd appreciate that right now. Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful today to uh, be in your presence. We've just sung that you are the ruler of all. Oh, God, be our vision today. May we ever look to you with hopefulness and trust. As we studied in Sunday school today, God, you have worked in times of political upheaval and, and strains and, and dark times, God. But you are Lord. You rule over everything. You guide our paths, and you will guide our country. So God, just bless us and keep us. Make us a hopeful people a people willing to to share the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ, Father. Every day that we live, when others speak of doom and gloom, God, we can say, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. 
He's the ruler of all. Thank you, Jesus, for being that kind of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for men like Tim who will protect our freedoms, Father, with their very lives, with their time, with their efforts, with all of their being. God bless him and keep him and, and use him, Father, among his uh, comrades in arms, Father, and those that he will confront. God, be our vision, be our ruler, protect our country. Give us the great wisdom that comes only from you today, Father, as we prepare to vote or as our country goes forward. Please, Jesus, bless Owen as he speaks to us. Great words of truth, Father, great words from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to let you know, uh, as we think about missions, think about what, what Terry's doing with the North American Mission Board, uh, this afternoon we're going to have a prayer gathering, a little bit of a vision casting time. If you're interested in missions, um, what we're doing at Emmaus in that area, even if you're not a member of Emmaus, you're more than welcome to, to come to that. Many of you have been involved in missions by putting together the Operation Christmas Child boxes. If you can get those to us this week, the big semi-trucks are getting ready to come in to, to pick those up, and we appreciate those of you who serve. If you're looking for a way, you say, you know what, I'd really like to do something else. I'd like to just find a way to get involved. We have a team of men and women who load the semi-trucks with those shoe boxes to be able to take them uh, to the distribution points. And so if you want to serve in that way, we'd love to get you connected with that. But if you have those shoe boxes and you could, you could bring those, that, that helps us out uh, a lot as well. Anytime we come to the end of a, of a sermon, at the end of a worship service, we always want to t provide a time of response. Sometimes there's a time that we stand up and sing a song. Sometimes we take the Lord's Supper. I just want to prepare you, let you know that at the end of the sermon today, we're going to have a time of just guided, reflective prayer time, of committing ourselves to the Lord. And so as you think about how God speaks to you this morning through the music and through prayer and through the word, know that we're going to be driving toward that response um, at the end that we can think about, Lord, how you're working my life and what do you want to do in and through me in the days ahead. Specifically this morning, we're going to do that by looking at Proverbs 29. And sometimes when you're doing this, you have to think, how can I introduce a sermon to get people's attention? Well, guess what? There's an election on Tuesday. What do we do about it? How do we think about it? What does scripture say about it? That's the direction that we're gonna go. And so we're gonna use Proverbs 29. But before we get there, before we get there, it's a long chapter. We're gonna look at every verse. But before we get there, as we think about this concept of government and election, I want us to think specifically in regards to leadership. Because you may think, you know what, the election, give it or take it, maybe, maybe you're just not engaged, it's not really capturing you right now. Leadership, though, is the big issue. And when we think about leadership, particularly thinking about influence, that leadership is being able to leverage your influence in the right direction and for the right reasons. And we all have influence. When you vote, you're voting for influencers, you're voting for leaders, you're voting even in that vote having influence, but everyone here has to think about influence. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a godparent, an employer, an employee, if you are older than nine years old, I can guarantee you have influence because you have influence with my kids. My kids are at a stage in life where being a teenager is everything. 
for them. And if you're a teenager, you have incredible influence. So if the election, if government, if that doesn't really capture your attention, know that this morning we're specifically thinking about leadership and we're thinking about leadership as influence. And so as we go through this and you're thinking about candidates, you're thinking about voting, that's the right direction to think. Equally so, think about, Lord, who do I have influence with? And how am I leveraging that influence for the right reasons? Because when you look at scripture from the very beginning, you see this topic of leadership in scripture. Genesis chapters one and two about leadership, specifically God's leadership over all creation. Genesis one and two is designed to show that Yahweh, that God is the ruler of all things. But then God creates in his own image. He creates human beings who will govern, who will rule, who will be stewards over creation. He, he creates humans for the purpose of leadership. Not that they would dominate, but that they would exist for the common good of creation, for the common good of humanity. But we know what happens. Sin comes into the story. People rebel against God. They won't want to be leaders under God. They want to be gods. They want to be in control. So they don't want to be under him. They want to have their own independent leadership, and so they rebel against God. But everything that God does after that in putting creation back together and making all things new, he uses leadership. He uses the patriarchs and the judges. And then when the people cry out and they say, we want our own king, you see the kingdom established, first through a man named Saul, and then through a man named David, and then through a man named Solomon, and even after Solomon with the divided kingdom and how God brings in and uses other leaders, you can see over and over again how this topic of leadership is part of God's plan. It's part of how people will have influence in the world. So when we come to Proverbs, we know that it will say something about this topic of leadership because Solomon, here's something interesting I don't think I'd paid attention to until this week. When Solomon addresses Proverbs to my son, he says, my son, he's not just wanting to give his kids good advice, he's saying my son because his sons are going to be the ones to carry on that rule and that reign. He's preparing with Proverbs, he's building up leaders. And that's what we do as parents and grandparents. We're training our kids for leadership and influence in the world. We know they're gonna have influence, we know they're gonna have positions of leadership, and so with the Proverbs, we are training them to know how to have that influence. But when we look at Proverbs and we think about leadership and we think about government, here's a caution. And I know this is a little bit controversial, but it, it's an appropriate caution. When we think about ancient Israel and the kingdom that God was establishing and the covenant, which I know is a churchy word, but, but this intentional relationship that God was forming with the nation of Israel and how that was part of his plan for rescue and redemption. If we're not careful, we'll take those concepts and then we'll go directly to modern-day American government and we'll make them as one-to-one -one comparisons. This is where you end up with 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, put on political ads about if my people will humble and turn and pray, then I will heal their land. You get verses like that. This is how you end up with political candidates either being called anointed by God or enemies of God, and you get this one-to-one -one relation between ancient Israel and modern-day America, and just to put it lightly, 
it's both unhelpful and unbiblical to do that. Because you end up crossing these lines that scripture never intended us to cross. That God's relationship with ancient Israel through the covenant, through the relationship he made with them through Moses, is not designed to be the same as the relationship that a modern day country like the United States would have before God. And so if we're not careful, we end up crossing our lines and run into all kinds of problems. problems. But... Scripture still speaks to government. Scripture still speaks to leadership. And so what we're trying to ask this morning is what does Scripture say? And Proverbs chapter 29 is where we're going to do that. So pardon my eight-minute introduction there, but uh, I want you to think about influence. I want you to think about leadership, and we're going to go through these verses with that in mind. What does it mean to be a wise, godly leader and not be a foolish leader. Here's how it begins. Proverbs chapter 29, verse one. He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Now, as we go through these verses, we're gonna focus a little bit more on the negative than the positive, but there's two sides to the story. Scripture is painting the picture of what does it look like to provide positive, wise, godly leadership? What does it look like to provide negative, foolish leadership? What we find from the very beginning here is that one who is stiff-necked, one who is hard-headed, hard-hearted, refuses to listen to anyone else, is not going to be a good leader because ultimately that person will become hardened, will become brittle, and ultimately will be broken. And so from the very beginning, with this idea of leadership, this idea of influence, a person of leadership is not the person who claims to have every answer. The person of leadership is not the person who refuses to listen to anyone else under them. We find that the greatest leaders are those who are able to receive counsel who are able to receive insight. And if someone says, no, 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 I'm just gonna do it my way, I don't care what anybody else says, we find from the beginning they're not going to be fit to be a leader. They're not gonna be fit to have influence. Verse two, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Doesn't that resonate with you as just being true? When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. We're going in the right direction. When the wicked rule, the people groan. I guess the word groan fits with kind of how we even feel a little bit as a nation. You just see people groaning, sighing. Sometimes it's palm to forehead. Sometimes it's SMH, just, oh man, just shaking my head. Like, what am I, how am I gonna make sense of this? Like, what's going on? We groan, why do we groan? One of the reasons Proverbs says here that we groan is when the wicked rule, the people groan. Leadership, influence, is designed to be held by someone who has character, someone who is righteous. Now I wanna be really clear, as we're trying to make this distinction between modern day America and ancient Israel, I'm not saying um, that every single political leader, senior class leader, Every person has to be a Christian to be in that 
position. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, very clearly is that someone who considers themselves God is not going to be fit for leadership, but one who realizes that character and righteousness matter, they're going to be more fit for leadership. And we would say that a person who is humble before Lord, the Lord, who's repented of their sins, who's trusted in Christ, that person is going to be in a position to make the people rejoice because of righteousness. Verse 3, he who loves wisdom makes his father glad. In other words, that father's going to see that legacy of leadership carried on. But a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Counsel, who you listen to, who you spend time with, will have an influence on your leadership. Leaders, just to put it bluntly, who are companions of prostitutes are going to squander that legacy that's been given to them. They're not going to be able to have leadership. They're not going to be able to have influence. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about what Proverbs says about sexual faithfulness. That's the reason we're offering an additional up through sixth grade uh, children's church time during the sermon. We're going to talk specifically about that. But this verse isn't even primarily about prostitutes. What it's more about is who is your counsel? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to Lady Wisdom or are you listening to Lady Folly? Because if you're listening to the wrong people, it's going to influence your leadership in the wrong ways. You're going to squander this opportunity that's been given to you. Verse 4, by justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. If you needed a theme word for Proverbs 29, it's the word justice. So if you're the Bible underliner, Bible highlighter, the key word there is justice. That's the word that carries Proverbs 29, that makes it, makes it hold together. So justice is the responsibility of a leader. A person who has influence, a person who leads, is going to be a person you can trust. A person who is committed to doing right. But the second half of that verse says, he who exacts gifts tears it down. Now, tough phrase to kind of make sense of. What's it talking about that? What it's talking about, probably the easiest way to explain it is simply bribery. It's what's being talked about there, bribery. This idea of reaching for or seeking to gain or obtain something that is not yours. So a leader who is out for themselves, who plays the game of bribery, who grabs after something that's not theirs, who wants to take from others. And even worse, in this verse, it's specifically talking about a leader who reaches into the religious pocket, so to speak. These these were offerings that were offered up to God in the temple. And this type of leader reaches into that money and takes it for themselves, is what's being talked about in this verse. So one who takes something that is not theirs, who doesn't practice justice, is not fit for leadership, is not fit for a place of influence. Verse five, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Translated, a leader who will say whatever the person wants to hear just to get a response, a positive response, is setting a trap for themselves. Now, hear me out. Let's not go any further. I'm not trying to be passive-aggressive in putting forward these ideas. You're thinking, oh man, what's Owen saying about who I should vote for? It's pretty obvious. You're going to be able to put each of these verses with a candidate pretty quickly. 
And if you put together uh, this candidate and this candidate and you run through these verses, you're not gonna like the results <laughs> uh, of that. So, so hear, me, hear me say, I'm not trying to be passive aggressive with these things because more than anything, versus looking at the election on Tuesday, we're trying to look at our own heart. So we're looking to say, what does it look like for me to have leadership, for me to have influence? What kind of, what kind of influence do you have with the pastor's kids? Just, just start there. Like, what, is my, what does my life look like? So, so I'm not trying to be passive aggressive, though it's gonna be very easy to fill in the blanks uh, a few times going through here. But a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Don't trust one who will say whatever needs to be said to get a positive reaction, and then they'll turn around to the other person and they'll say something different to them just to get a reaction. Verse six, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Okay, it's obvious here that the word ensnared in verse six is meant to go back to the net for his feet in verse five. So there's a net for his feet in verse five, and then he gets caught in it in verse six. So it's pretty, pretty clear those verses are meant to stick together. A man an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Here's what that's saying. A righteous man sings and rejoices. That righteous man has the freedom of conscience to keep moving forward in life, to keep singing, just to whistle, and I would try to do that, but it sounds terrible, but whistle and pass the time of day. When you sing, when you have that freedom of heart, that freedom of conscience, you're able to move forward. You're able to move ahead. When you're constantly trying to cover your tracks because of what you said and trying to make those words match up with these words, you're ensnared. You can never move forward because you're always caught in your own words as opposed to having the freedom just to sing, just to live life and know that, hey, I'm clear of conscience. Verse seven, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. A leader, a person of influence, will care for people in need, will have a special place for those who are poor, those who are hurting, those who are forgotten, those who are marginalized. Leaders and influencers know the poor. Know the poor, that word, no is not just, and I know this is kind of a preachery thing to say, but that word no there is not intellectual knowledge. It's a different word for no. It's a personal, intimate knowledge. So it's not just the leader knows statistics about poor people to use in a speech. It's the leader cares on a personal level about those who are hurting, who has even a relationship. Someone who can't give anything to their campaign or can't give anything to what they're doing, they still care about that person. If we're a person of influence, it's not about getting the wealthy people on our side who can help us out. It's saying, I'm going to know and care for everyone. Do you, and by you in that phrase, I guess I mean me, do I only care about and seek to know the people who can benefit me, or do I seek to know everyone to care for them who they are, not just what they can do for me? And that's a question that hurts. And it's a question that hurts when you're in a place of leadership and influence because sometimes you feel tempted to get to know and have influence with people who can do something with you rather than just meeting them for who they are. And so we have to check our heart big time on that verse. Verse eight. Verse eight begins a section that goes through verse 12 that's all about speaking, 
how does a leader's speech reflect on their influence? So verse eight to verse 12 are held together by the idea of, of speaking. Verse eight, scoffers set a city of flame, but the wise turn away wrath. That phrase, set a flame, there in the first half of that verse, it's the word, and I won't do it because it sounds terrible coming through the, ma- the mic, but it's the word for blowing on a small flame to make it get bigger. So you're out camping, and as the husband, you're trying to do your duty and make the little fire, and it's not going well, and so you're throwing on tons and tons of gasoline and paper and trying to get it, and you're blowing on that fire to get it to become bigger, This is the idea, this is the word for wind passing over fire or blowing on fire to make it get bigger. A scoffer, someone who doesn't care, who doesn't need to be a place of influence, that person will try to incite anger, will try to build up anger, build up wrath. They'll blow on the flame to make it bigger. But the wise person turns away wrath. I think I put it up there, Proverbs 15, one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A person of leadership, a person of influence should not be about inciting anger, should not be about trying to make something a bigger flame. A person of leadership and influence is trying to turn that wrath away. They're trying to do away with that, not build it up, not blow on the fire. Verse nine, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. Okay, there's quite a few things going on in, in, this, in this verse. There's a couple of verses that come up later in the book of Proverbs that are really interesting. Proverbs 26, four and five. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And you might say, those verses sound like direct contradictions. Well, I've already been appropriately corrected about not being hard on the math people or engineer people, but remember, Proverbs are not math formulas. They're not just do this and this will happen. They're they're statements designed to require discernment. In other words, sometimes you need to speak to a fool because they need to not be wise in their own lies. Sometimes you need to keep your mouth shut because speaking to a fool will just cause them to keep going and going and going, and it just feeds the machine. It's hard to determine which is which. It just takes discernment to know, do I need to speak into the situation and say something, or I just need to keep my mouth shut because it's gonna make the situation worse. In this verse specifically, it says if a wise man has an argument with a fool, that fool only rages and laughs and there's no quiet. In other words, you don't get anywhere in that particular argument. Make sure we don't miss the point here that arguing is not a bad thing, okay? Arguing is not a bad thing. We've reached a point, and we all, we all recognize it constantly on TV and social media, we've reached a point where it's almost impossible to have a reasoned disagreement or argument with someone. Disagreeing with someone is not disrespectful. What's disrespectful is saying, ah, we just believe the same thing, let's just go on and agree to disagree. That's actually disrespectful. It's not disrespectful to have an argument with someone. You wanna be able to present your case and then hear someone else present their case and make a different argument. The foundation for being able to do that is Christianity. 
One of the things I love about being a part of a Baptist church is one of the parts of Baptist history is the idea that everyone has freedom, conscience, freedom of conscience, to be able to set forth their viewpoint, that we don't force anyone to believe something. We make an argument, we want to be persuasive, we want to say it does matter that you believe in Jesus, but we can never force you to take our side. If you have an argument with a fool, all they do is they rage on about something or they laugh at you and they think that's an argument. It's not an argument. It's a dangerous way to lead if someone can't make an argument and all they do is they rage on or they just laugh about it. Dangerous form of influence and leadership. Verse 10, bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. This is meant to connect with the previous verse as well. What it's saying here is when someone who is a fool comes up against someone who is wise, they'll hate the fact that that person seems to be right. And instead of having a reason argument with them, they'll seek their harm. If you see someone in a disagreement, and the only way they know to respond in that disagreement is to seek the harm of the other person, that's not leadership. That's not influence. That's failing to engage with the situation and trying to solve it in a way that only causes additional harm. Verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Okay, we're starting to get a little repetition here, but you're, you're, you're getting the sense of it. A fool just keeps going and going and going and gives full vent. A wise man realizes maybe I should shove those words back in my mouth. Maybe now's a good time to stop talking and I'm gonna just put them back in there. Someone who goes on and on and on, not a good sign of leadership. Don't say anything about the pastor. But uh, if you just go on and on and you get full vent, like there's just no restraint, no discipline. That's the key here. No restraint, no discipline over your words, bad sign of leadership. Verse 12, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Don't hear lies, don't repeat lies, don't make lies the foundation of what you do. Because if you do, it will multiply throughout all of your organization. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all of his officials will be wicked. Verse 13, the poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. This is interesting, this is saying that the poor man that was mentioned earlier in verse seven and the one who would try to oppress that poor man are actually equal before the Lord. Because the key comes at the end of that first half where it says they meet together. They come together before the Lord because he is the one who gives light to the eyes of both. You can't say that a poor person has less dignity or less worth than someone else. Verse 14. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. I love this quote from Derek Kidner. The test of a man in power and his hidden strength is the extent to which he keeps faith with those who can put least pressure on him. This is what we were alluding to earlier. If a person's place in your life only is there because of what they can do for you or what influence they might have, I mean, you think about modern-day American 
politics and the overlapping of economic power and political power, this verse is just flying in the face of that. If the only influence someone has with you is because of their money, you're not judging the faithfully, and, or you're not judging the poor in a faithful way. Verse 15. Verse 15 transitions from 15 to 21, and it's a section about discipline, specifically about discipline in the household. Leadership influence begins in the household where you learn discipline, where you learn respect. It, it starts from the ground up. Verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Paul Coptic says, the parent who does not give needed correction risk receiving unwanted shame. Discipline, appropriate discipline, appropriate discipline, we realize Ephesians chapter six speaks against excessive discipline in the home, but appropriate discipline prepares a child to be a leader. Let's just admit that a child who gets everything they want, no matter what, runs the household, is not going to be an adult leader that you want over you. Because we know the result of that. We know what that feels like. We know what that looks like. Discipline in the home prepares for leadership and influence later in life. Lost my place. Verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their fall. This is the idea, increase, it looks like things are going up, it looks things, things are getting better, but actually all that's happening is wickedness is increasing, but the righteous will look on the downfall. Verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Okay, this verse hits home. Uh, this is the idea that in that moment as a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, Discipline, the act of giving appropriate, wise, godly discipline is exhausting. Like it just sucks the life out of you as a parent or a grandparent to apply that discipline. And sometimes you think, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm exhausted. Just do whatever you want. That's what the pastor says sometime when he gets tired. Just do whatever you want because it's, it's exhausting. What this verse is saying, though, is if you'll press through that and you'll provide appropriate discipline, the result of that will actually be rest you'll have a more peaceful, restful existence if you do the hard work of applying appropriate discipline at the right time. Lack of discipline leads to chaos. Appropriate discipline leads to peace. It doesn't matter if you're in a house or if you're a part of a nation. Lack of discipline, chaos, discipline, peace. It works on a national level and it works in your house. Verse 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law. Say hello to one of the most misused verses in, in scripture here, but uh, this verse is normally used when the new pastor comes to the church and everyone asks him over and over again, hey, what's your vision for our church? Because if there's no vision, we're gonna perish as a church. For the love of God, that is not what this verse is, is about. This verse here is about the idea that if there is no word of God, law, prophet, no word of God spoken to the people to say this is right and this is wrong, the people will perish. It's tying together the law of God, 
the prophets of God and the writings of God and saying if the word of God is not spoken into the lives of the people, if the word of God is not consumed, that people will perish. Blessed is the one who keeps the law. The people will cast off restraint. In other words, they'll do whatever they want if no one's coming along to say this is right or this is wrong. Which means that if you live in a land, if you live in a situation where there's no clear understanding of this is right and this is wrong, there will be no restraint and people will do whatever they want. You realize how that works on a national level. At a local level, if there's no one who's saying we're gonna stand by the word of God, we're gonna speak the word of God, we're gonna say this is right and this is not right, then people do whatever they want. And ultimately that leads to perishing, but blessed is the one who keeps the law. This is a verse about needing to know right from wrong in order to have restraint so people don't run wild and chaos results. Verse 19, by mere words a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Okay, we're repeating themes here. Discipline leads to good leadership. Verse 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Be slow to speak, slow to get angry, but quick to hear. Verse 21, whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him an heir. Lack of discipline early on leads to all kinds of problems later on. Verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Verses 22 through the end of the chapter form actually like an acrostic, starts with a particular word or letter of the Hebrew alphabet and kind of goes on. So what, what the author is doing is saying, okay, now I'm gonna sum up everything for you. So 22 to 29 is kind of the summary. Verse 22, this idea of wrath stirring up strife one given to anger causes much transgression. You don't need any help figuring out what that means. You see that on display way too often. Verse 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Pride comes before a fall. Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's not the prideful who make great leaders. It's those who realize they are not God who make good leaders, who are lowly and poor in spirit, realizing their need for help, their need for someone to provide guidance. Verse 24, the partner of a thief hates his life. You get into the wrong relationships, it's gonna cause trouble. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. The end of verse 24, I don't know if this is still the right word for it, so I'm gonna date myself and just use the word I know. The end of verse 24 is, is snitching. It's the idea, are you going to tell on someone? If you see something wrong, are you going to speak up and say something about it? Here's the irony that's going on in this verse. All along, the foolish the foolish man, the foolish leader, has been speaking on and on and on, giving full vent to his anger, hasting his words, talks and talks and talks. But when the moment to speak up about something wrong comes, all of a sudden no words are coming out of the mouth. That's what it means in verse 24. The partner of a thief hates his life. He hears the curse, he hears what's wrong, but discloses nothing. The person with all these words, when it comes time to speak up for what's right, 
can't find the words to say anything. You, you see how that's kind of working in, in these verses. Verse 25, here's where we start to transition to the end. This is where it starts to kind of come full circle. Verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A leader who fears men and not God will not be able to have the influence that they're supposed to have. Do we fear men or do we trust God? And we realize that comes back around to the beginning of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, that the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's taking that and applying it to this concept here in, verse, in, in chapter 29. All right, next verse, 26. Many seek the face of a ruler. You find yourself in a position of leadership, you have friends that you never knew you had. <laughs> you have people coming to you for favors, asking for things, seeking to be with you. They want something from you because all of a sudden you have this position of leadership or influence. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. If we are looking, and I, I, know, I, I know we know this at the core, but we've, we've had to repeat this to ourselves the last few weeks. If we are looking to a human ruler, a human leader, to provide what only God can provide, we're in trouble. We're looking in the wrong place for the wrong things. Many seek the face of a ruler. Many people are going around saying, if we get this person in the right position, this person in the right position, then things will be okay. Proverbs 29, 26 says, it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. If you're looking for what is good and right and life and good and right in the world, it ultimately comes from the Lord. Verse 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. You can pull together Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six there about trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is that idea kind of coming full circle for leadership. Will we be just or will we be unjust? Now as you hear that chapter and you think about this concept of leadership, there should be something inside of you that says, nobody could do all those things. Nobody would be able to do those things. There's a yearning inside of us for someone to come along and fit the bill to say who is wise like that who is able to lead like that who's able to rule like that the history of israel and the history of the world is one long lesson in the fact that no human ruler will ever be able to live out completely the wisdom of proverbs 29 but thanks be to god that we have victory through jesus christ our lord philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter two, verses 10 through 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This idea that people yearn for a ruler, they yearn for a leader who will lead in wisdom, who will lead in love, who will lead in truth, who will lead in grace, who will lead in hope. Where is that person? He's come. He's come to us through the person of Jesus Christ. God with us showing us every human ruler in some way is going to let you down. 
that does not diminish the importance of human rulers who are set up by God to be representatives to reward good and punish bad. It doesn't in any way diminish that, but what it says is look beyond that. That's not your ultimate hope. Your ultimate hope is Philippians 2, 10 through 11. And so the question for us is, who is the leader of my life? Who's ultimately the leader of my life? And if it's not Jesus Christ, I would call you this morning to consider that. Maybe you're really interested in politics and what's happening in culture, but church seems a little disconnected, a little irrelevant. I hope that this idea of leadership and influence and wisdom would would help you kind of draw those two together and say, who do I really want to look to for life? Who do I really want to look to for hope? And if you have your hope in Jesus Christ, who are you leading? Who are you influencing? What kind of life are you leading by God's grace to say, I want to show the world what it looks like to walk in wisdom, to walk in hope? Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna come to the end of our time this morning. And like I said at the beginning, we're not gonna do what we sometimes do and stand and sing a song. We're not gonna move around. I wanna give you just a moment before we leave to be still, to be quiet, I know that's hard with little kids in the room, but, but they've done so well, and it's okay if they need to move around a little bit. But just right where you are, ask the question, do I know what it is for Jesus to be Lord? For him to be boss of my life, savior of my life, that I'm looking to him and I'm pointing people to him? Friends, this is one of the best opportunities you'll have this week as people are talking about the election, talking about what's happening, talking about leadership. Don't miss the opportunity to speak to them about the hope and the love of Jesus. Who he is as a leader, who he is as wisdom, who he is as the one who takes us in all of our personal brokenness, all of our personal sin that no one knows anything about, And yet he covers over all of that. He forgives us. He makes us new. Think for a minute about who you have influence with. Grandparents, thinking about your grandkids. Parents, thinking about your kids. If you're in business, if you're in government, thinking about those that you're over. Teenagers, you can just think about my kids if that's helpful or other people in your life because you have incredible influence. What does that influence look like? Do people look to you and say, that's what it looks like to live wisely. That's what it looks like to trust the Lord. That's what it looks like to care for others. How is your influence shaping those around you? How is God using you to show other people his goodness and his love and his power? And just for a moment as well, we we think about our country, we think about where we are right now, praying for this week, praying for the fact that the mission of the church doesn't change on Wednesday. Our mission remains exactly the same. Would you commit yourself in a fresh way to trusting in Jesus Christ this morning?
If you need to talk with someone about that, if you need to pray with someone about that, we're gonna be available after the service is over. We wanna be able to do that for you. Father, thank you for those who have gathered here in worship this morning. God, thank you for bringing us to this place to remember our need for you and to ask, God, that you would work in and through us in powerful ways for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.